Hey folks and welcome back to the next chapter in your podcast version of the book How to Succeed in the Police Recruitment Process Even If You Don't Know Where to Start in Your Preparation. So this chapter is going to focus on competency type questions for your final interview. This is going to be the backbone of most interviews. I've not heard actually of one interview for any force that takes place without any form of competency related questions. Now these are the sort of questions that start off with, can you tell me about a time when? So we've covered some of that for the online assessment centre, but now we're going to cover the sort of depth and difference that you're going to need to prepare for for the final interview. And what I recommend is that you prepare for every type of question. So for every one of the values, for every one of the competencies, you come up with answers to the sample questions that I give you on the question template. And I'm going to give you some examples of those in this chapter. If you want to access the full range of questions, then of course that's all available on Blue Light's interview course, uh, together with video explainer, uh, explainer videos for every one of the values and competencies. So there's a whole, there's so much there, so much information there, you can't go wrong. So first of all, um, how should we approach these types of questions well first of all you'd be looking at an answer that's about four or five minutes long Um, if we just do the math again about the how long your final interview is going to be it's going to be anything from 45 minutes to an hour typically i know one or two forces try to squeeze it all in in the space of 30 minutes but typically it's 45 minutes to an hour and it should become very conversational but that also means that your answers need to be sufficiently long and sufficiently detailed to be able to fill that 45 minutes to an hour. So what I recommend is that you should be looking for answers that are in the range of four to five minutes long um, without adding things that are just unnecessary because just to fill four or five minutes, it needs to be all the detail that will ensure that your answer meets the marking guide. No matter what marking guide they've designed, it will actually meet it. And this is where you've really got to be your authentic and emotional self in a very structured and detailed way. Because remember, the people who are interviewing you at this point are serving police officers. They're out on the front line now. They're detective inspectors, uh, neighbourhood inspectors, response inspectors, firearms inspectors, working in vulnerable um, uh, vulnerable working with vulnerable people, uh, working for special branch. There, there are a range of backgrounds that are going to get these inspectors from. Like I said before, typically they're going to be inspectors. It could be sergeants, it could be a chief inspector, it could be a superintendent, but typically they're going to be an inspector. And they're out on the front line at the moment. And they don't get to the rank of inspector by collecting tokens from Cocoa Pops packets. They get to the rank of inspector because they're good people people. They understand people. They can sense when someone's telling them something that's not quite right. They can sense when someone's over-egging the pudding. They can sense when someone's giving them... Uh, just a sample answer from somewhere else. I remember one of my clients once who turned out to be not to be a client five minutes later um, said to me that he's thinking about just inventing some answers. 
and as soon as he said that that was the end of our relationship um because i knew that he would one get found out and two he's just told me he intends to lie um and i'm not going to work with people like that so whatever you do don't make things up it's got to be about your past if it's not these inspectors sergeants chief inspectors will work it out straight away and they'll be straight on to you and you will fail and they will discover your um deceit so please don't go down that road tempting as though it might be to over egg the pudding don't speak from your heart speak from what happened and you're not going to go wrong so um some advice that i've seen elsewhere especially in the blue light facebook group i cringe every time i see it when someone says has anyone got any advice for the final interview i'll see things like just know your competencies and learn your competencies that's not really going to help you learning what they are parrot fashion is not going to help you it's knowing how to utilize the competency and values framework to construct possible questions that you're going to get asked and then work out what supplementary points you need to include in your answer so you can meet the behavioral statements within those values and within those competencies and don't worry if you didn't understand what i've just said too much because you don't need to do all of that work i've done it for you and i'm going to give you some examples of the sort of questions that you're going to get asked and the guidance that i provide for each one of the questions in terms of what you need to include in your answer and that's because i've taken the values and the competencies and from those behavioral statements within the values and the competencies i've been able to formulate possible interview questions that they're going to ask you and i've also taken the behaviors which sometimes are written in competency speak very hr speak i've turned them into something called plain english for you so that you can actually understand exactly what it is that they're looking for in the answer so that'll make more sense when I tell you in a moment um, what sort of questions you're going to get asked and what you need to cover. Other things to avoid. There's guidance out there, because I've seen it, that says tells you to use words and phrases from the competency and values framework. That is a big no. If you start using buzzwords from the competency and values framework, you will annoy the interviewers. So if you said something like, I worked in a collaborative way with my fellow team members, uh, ensuring that I was um, meeting organisational aims and objectives at the same time. It sounds great, doesn't it? It's absolutely meaningless, though, until you actually describe how you've done something. So as an interviewer, straight away, I'll be on all over that at the end of your answer. And I'll be saying, so you said you worked collaboratively with the rest of your team. How did you do that? How exactly did you do that? So if you try and use any big buzzwords with me, I'm going to make a note of them and I'm going to hone straight into you after your answer and I'm going to ask you to explain how exactly you did those buzzword things. So you're just going to annoy the interviewer if you start using buzzwords, especially if they're buzzwords from the competency and values framework. Do not do those. And you may be thinking, well, how will they understand that I've worked collaboratively? Describe how you worked with other people and let them make the judgment that what you did was collaborative. So avoid buzzwords. Please avoid, avoid, avoid the buzzwords. Um, and you will need a structure. You will need a structure. And I provide a template to that structure in the online course, a very, very detailed one to enable you to be able to fill four or five minutes. But I'm also going to introduce you to that structure now. So if you Google um, how to answer interview questions, it's going to bring up something called STAR. 
And I, I don't know why STAR is so popular. It stands for Situation, Task, Action and Result. The problem is, I don't know many people who can explain the difference between task and action. Um, what most people say is things like, well, the task is what I set out to do and the action is what I did. Mm, yeah, that's confusing, isn't it? Or I was tasked to do something and then the actions were what I did to complete the task I was set. Well, if I'm an interviewer, I don't really want to hear about tasks you were set. I want to hear about times when you've given 120% without being asked to do so. So I don't want to hear about something that you were tasked to do because you were just following directions. You just did what you were asked to do. Nothing remarkable about that at all. I want you to give me examples of times of things that have happened in your professional or personal life that have been particularly challenging, that have been particularly difficult. I want to hear about when you've pushed yourself. So that's where I think the STAR model gets people a little bit confused. And, and plus, no one ever really talks like that, do they? No one says things like, so I tasked myself up with. Who talks like that? Anyone? I don't. And I used to be in the police. I've never met anyone else who talks like that. So let's not start talking in a way that we don't normally, because that'll throw you as well. You're not going to come across as your authentic, your authentic self. And sometimes at the end of that star, people will add an E. So that's E for evaluate. So it's stare, the stare model. I've got a problem with that as well. No one... No one says things like, so I evaluated my performance. I evaluated the way I completed that task. No one talks like that. So don't start talking like that in your interview. What tends to happen in the interview, by the way, is there might be a bit of an introduction. You know, how did you get here? And uh, where have you come from? And what the interviewer is doing there is they're setting up this sort of chit-chat with you so that you're getting comfortable talking to them. And then they might ask out the question that we covered before about why do you want to join the police? Why do you want to join this force? And it's to get you talking. And then suddenly they might be thinking, oh, this is going really well. This is very conversational. This person seems to be very bright and dynamic and enthusiastic. And then suddenly, oh, so can you tell me about a time when you've worked with other people to solve a problem and you turn into robot CVF mode? And you start using phrases like, so I tasked myself up with, um, I evaluated my performance. And the interviewers will be sat there thinking, what's happened to that person we met before? have suddenly become weird. Um, and I know that because I've done it myself. So let's avoid that by using a completely different model. And this is one that I've developed over decades now, actually. I've played around with all sorts of different um, models to answer these sort of questions. And I've used them and, uh, and developed it over the years. I've used them myself to get promoted, used them myself to get into specialist departments. I've coached and supported and guided people within the police to succeed using these sort of models. And the one I've settled on is one called Sal Ku. I know it sounds a bit of a mouthful. And the other reason I think Star's popular is because Star actually spells a word. The Sal Ku model goes like this. And there's more to it, by the way. Each one of the, the headings, is, there's a whole load of little subheadings, uh, but you'll need my template for that. So the first part is situation. So in my role as A, a specific situation occurred where? That's how you start off every one of your answers. In my role as A, a specific situation occurred when? 
And you might also want to explain what that organisation is that, that that you belong to actually does and what that role that you're in actually does because they can't read your minds and, and they don't know about life in the army or life as an accountant or life in retail. They're police officers. They know what life as a police officer is like. They don't know about the rest. So, uh, first of all, the situation. And we might also want to start thinking about the problem that we are describing. Here we're setting the scene. And so, if that problem wasn't addressed, what would be the impact on you, the organisation, your team, other individuals involved? And now, as opposed to task, we're going to think about our aim. Because you were aiming to achieve something. When you started thinking about... I think I need to address this problem somehow. What I'm aiming to achieve is. So what is it you're aiming to achieve? And now we're thinking about what we're aiming to achieve. We can start thinking about, well, what options do I have to enable me to achieve that aim? Does that make sense? I think it makes sense. Well, it makes sense to a lot of people because I've had feedback from thousands to say that this worked for them. Recently had feedback from a chief inspector. Actually, they're not a chief inspector anymore. They're a superintendent who um, listened to me talking about this on one of my podcasts and came back to me to say, I've just got promoted to superintendent. First time I use this model. It's awesome. Thank you. You're welcome, superintendent. So um, we're going to talk about our aim and then two or three options that we've considered to achieve that aim. The option that you're always going to settle on is you decided to tackle this yourself. Because if you settle on the option, which is I decided to refer it to my manager, well, that's it. It's the end of the answer, isn't it? So it's always an option, though. So talk about your options. One of the other options might have been getting someone else to help you or um, actually watching someone else deal with whatever it is so that you could learn from them but again both of those options don't enable you to go any further with your answer so the option is always going to be that you decided to deal with it yourself probably because of a sense of urgency and the time the right time to deal with it was now and not put it off to the next day because of certain issues so now we've described the situation in detail the impact on others what we're aiming to achieve and the options that we considered and the option that we settled on and our rationale for that option, now we can start talking about the actions that we took. So that's the second A of the Salku model. Now, here is where most people fall down. They fall down because they talk about what they did, but they talk, don't talk about how they actually did those things. So I approached the person calmly and professionally. I sat next to them and listened to them empathetically. You know, all of those phrases sound great, but they're completely meaningless unless you actually explain how you did those things. And trust me, in my webinars, uh, for group webinars and for individual one-to-one -one coaching, I spend probably about 50% of the time focusing on developing people's ability, my client's ability to describe the how. And it's not their fault because it's not your fault neither because no one's ever taught you this at college or university or school. It's not your fault. So people will go into the interview making all of those bold claims as to what, what they did, but not how they did it. It's the how that's important. On my online course um, and on my webinars, I do a little exercise with people called the seven levels of how. 
And it starts off with someone saying something like, so I spoke to the rest of my teammates and found out what the issues were. Spoke to your teammates. Great. How did you do that? Well, I had a meeting. Great. You had a meeting. How did you do that? And it goes deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper until we actually get to the fine granular detail of how they did spoke to. It's awesome. When we do the seven levels of how, it's so revealing. Normally about by about the, the sixth or fifth or sixth level, people are starting to get it and they're starting to think, ah, oh, right, now I get it. I need to describe specifically the types of questions I asked and why and how I listen to that individual. So that's really important. That fine granular detail is really important. And your action phase of your answer should take up the not the bulk of, but quite a considerable percentage of your overall answer. So now we move into the result. Now, there's a lot of guidance out there that says, especially in the work, the corporate world, the private sector, that you should use examples of where what you did was successful. You're going to join the police. Can I share with you that just about every plan you have in the police, every plan I've had in the police to achieve something hasn't worked out perfectly. It rarely, rarely does. And what you intend to achieve invariably isn't what you actually achieve. Why? Because it's a fast-moving, dynamic world that involves people. And once you introduce people into the formula, it starts getting very, very confusing. And so you have to deal with that confusion. People don't do what you ask them to do. Or if you ask someone to do something, they do something completely different. People don't always report back to you. People don't turn up when they say they're going to turn up. The The world of policing is about dealing with problems in a very dynamic way. So I don't want to hear about examples of when something has gone awesomely for you, where everything you touch turns to gold and everything in your garden is rosy. Because I'm going to think two things. One, you're spinning me a yarn. Or two, it wasn't very challenging then, was it? Because if it went so well the first time you dealt with this situation, then clearly it wasn't very challenging for you. It wasn't very difficult for you. I want to hear about difficult, challenging situations where it generated some emotion, some frustration maybe. How did you manage those frustrations? And talk about it. This is how we fill four or five minutes. And so for the result, I'd like you to think about the 80-20 rule. I often think about 80% of what you did went to plan and 20% didn't. Now, you can describe then how that 20% impacted on the overall result. And you can also then take that 20% of what didn't go right. I mean, I'm using that 80-20 principle. It could be 90-10 or it could be 70-30. Just as long as in your answer, there genuinely is something that didn't go to plan. And there will be, because if you're describing to the interviewer something that was a challenging situation for you, that you'd not dealt with before, that you felt nervous about initially, or frustrated, or certain other emotions, and how you handled those emotions, then I'm not going to expect it to turn out 100% brilliant. I'm going to expect there to be a result where it wasn't what you planned, or it wasn't perfect. And so from there, we can talk about your learning now, learning isn't saying things like, I learned that it's good to talk. I learned that it's good to plan ahead. I learned that it's good to use open questions. No, those are just statements of fact. Real learning is when you reflect and think, what didn't go to plan? 
What was the cause of it not going to plan? What can I do differently next time if the same situation occurred? Or if I could go back in time and deal with the same thing again, what is it I would do differently to ensure that the things that didn't go to plan actually went to plan? So give them some detailed learning. Give them some detailed learning. From there, we move into the KU. Now, this is the icing on the cake. If you stop at the learning, you'll have delivered an awesome answer. I can promise you that. Awesome. Especially if you follow my template. Awesome, awesome answer. Um, the KU stands for knowledge and understanding. So this is where you could say something like, uh, if it was working collaboratively with others, you could say, um, and this is a really important skill set for police officers, because I realise that once I'm in the police, most of what I do will involve working with other people, especially people from other partner agencies. So my understanding of how I'd go about doing that is whenever I get the opportunity to speak to someone from a partner agency, I'll ask them what sort of issues they, they, faced, they are faced with on a daily basis and, and maybe how can I help them to meet those issues. So that way you're demonstrating your knowledge and understanding. And there's a whole module in the online course where I talk about the knowledge and understanding that applies to each one of the values and each one of the competencies. So plenty there for you to practice. And one of the things that I need you to do to get really good to develop your proficiency to be able to answer these sort of questions, and I've talked about it before, I'm going to talk about it again, is to practice. Practice, 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 and reflect on your performance. Record yourself, play yourself back, and start thinking about how that came across. Practice with anyone you can find that will practice with you. Within the Blue Light client groups, there's always people putting a shout out to say, is there anyone available who'd like to practice interview questions with me? And they set up their own little Zoom sessions, which I think is awesome. I mean, what an awesome community it is. Um, if you're not part of that community yet, get part of that community because you might be thinking, I've got no one to practice with. Or whenever I do practice with someone, they just laugh at me or they don't understand. You know, well, in the blue light community, you've got people who are on the same courses as you. They've got the same dilemmas as you. They're going through the same challenges. They've got the same prize at the end of it, that warrant card in your pocket. Practice with other people. Writing answers down is just the start of the journey. Actually practicing them with real people is where the real, real um, practice comes in. The real preparation comes in. And that's why the webinars I run are so good, because you get to practice with me. And I know what works, and I know what doesn't work. So there you go, folks. An introduction to competency-type questions. In the next chapter, I'm going to give you some examples of what those questions are and what the supplementary points might be for those questions. So I hope you've got a lot out of this one. You may need to play it back a few times and make more notes, and that's okay. Or if you're reading this, you might need to read it all again. Uh, it depends whether you're listening to a podcast version or you're reading it, or you might be doing both at the same time. Either way, I hope you've enjoyed it, got something out of it, and I'll see you on the other side. Bye-bye for now. Thank you.